0: Welcome to Harvest Time, my name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton, the lead pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. Today, we have a very special program planned for you that's going to take the entire hour, but we know you're going to enjoy it.
1: Here's Pastor Walton to tell us more. a day, Chris. We're in for a treat, I think, this time with Harvest Time. It's going to be a little bit different. We're in the middle of our uh, in-service with our staff. I think 135 staff or so are getting ready to launch both Bible College and uh, Harvest Christian Academy and a lot of other things that are launching off in the fall. And we are so privileged to have Dr. Les Olala here with us again, along with uh, Dr. Jim Bennett. And so both of them are with us for our in-service, speaking to our staff. They're going to be ministering to our church and we thought it would be interesting and maybe uh, helpful for a lot of people if we took a, some time and just did some more of an extended interview. And so our normal Harvest time at 25 minutes or so, we're actually going to divide it into two different sections. And I asked Dr. O if he'd be willing to just spend some time talking about life and ministry and God's hand on his life. So first of all, Dr. O welcome back to Harvest. We're glad that you're here.
0: To getting back here for so long i just wish that my wife were able to be here and uh, but because of her health she is not able to make the long trips but we're, we're thrilled here i think this is my 14th or 15th time yeah exactly i think it's the 14th love it. time here yeah we just love it
1: and we're sad as well we were really hoping that mrs o would be able to uh come with you um but of course we know that uh Health just is not allowing that to happen, but thank you for your willingness to be able to come, and Mrs. O, if you're listening, thank you for your willingness to give him up a little bit more to, to let him be here. Already in our sessions, you've been a blessing, just like we expected, so we're really thankful for that. Um, yeah, 14 times in Guam uh, over the last 20-some years. That's a lot of trips. You know, when you look back over the years, you can hardly
0: picture that many trips, but yeah. We've, we've just loved being here.
1: Well, and our church family loves you, and because you've been here as often as you have, I mean, you're just part of the family. You're in our church directory, you and your wife are. Um, you're just part of our Harvest family, and we're really, really grateful for your influence. I told our church uh, last Sunday before you uh, came that um, outside of our, our pastors, uh, Pastor Lewis, Pastor Heron, and others that have been on the pastoral staff, I don't know if there's anybody else that has had a greater influence on the culture of harvest than Dr. O, not only because of the number of times that you've been here just helping to shape our ministry philosophy, but because of the influence that you've had on so many people that have both led the ministry here, that have served along the ministry here. So. Um, you've probably impacted our culture here more than anybody else. And we praise God. We thank God for that and really honored to have you back here.
0: Well, actually, it's very humbling to just be a part. To me, God's hand is on this and has been on this ministry for so many years. And to be honest, I'm very humbled to be here. I don't say that carelessly or glibly. I genuinely mean that. I feel unworthy, but yet very thankful to, to see the good hand of God continuing on this work.
1: What we'd like to do is uh, take the a couple of segments of your life and use them, ask you a few questions about sort of the life story, but more than that, use them uh, to kind of give us a setting for other questions, and uh, we'll see what happens. I got a little outline, but if we don't even come close to that outline, that's okay. fine. We'll, um, we'll just take off. <laughs> Um, let's start by talking about just your, your personal, your spiritual life and journey. Um, grew up in the UP, I'm sure that shaped you in a lot of different ways. Tell us about growing up in, in Upper Michigan.
0: Well, we were, we were in the very tip of Northern Michigan, up in the Keweenaw Peninsula. Uh, we average between 250, 350 inches of snow a year. In fact, this year I think they had 380 some inches of snow. We just came from up there. Okay. Actually, at the Gitchigumi Bible Camp. Yeah. And uh, For
1: anybody that's been around Northland, we've heard about the influence of Gitchigumi over all those years. You're and right. And, it's awesome uh, that you're still it's right ready. on
0: Lake Superior. Yeah. You yeah. know, the Hiawatha poem is, you know, the, on the shores of Gitchigumi. And, uh, and, You know, I was not brought up in a Christian home. Uh, There was some religion, but uh, no gospel Christianity. And I was the last of nine children uh, born, and uh, that was right at 80 years ago now. Hmm. God brought a man into our life, Pastor Charles Hart. He was making $28 a year pastoring a small baptist church in way in the tip of upper in, in actually in calumet michigan and he was burdened to reach young people he saw some kids on the street two girls and uh, he invited the two girls to vacation bible school and uh, they came uh, got became believers young girls and then their their mother had divorced and moved up to Mohawk, Michigan, which was a mile from where we lived. Well, Jim Hill, who was a part of uh, another unsafe family, uh, just kind of a—we were very good friends, my brother Earl and Jim, and I was the youngest of of that group of three there. Uh, The two girls saw Jim on the street and invited him, said, Pastor Hart is going to play hockey with some— with some guys up in Calumet Saturday night, we'd love to invite you to come. Well, Jim thought, boy, this, I'd like to see a preacher on skates. (laughs) And Jim had an attitude. I mean, he he was a rebel. Well, he broke Pastor Hart's collarbone that night playing hockey. Mm -hmm. But two weeks later, he got saved at First Baptist Church in Calumet. Mm -hmm. He got my brother Earl. And when Jim got saved, I mean, his life was so totally transformed. And, and he's still going. I mean, he's probably 82 years old now, but he's still on fire. Mm. He never changed. Well, my brother Earl then uh, got saved, and then he and Jim invited me to go to church, and I was so backward, and I had a horrible speech problem with a lisp. And I, I went, and with this whole group I went forward. Then uh, Phil Ward, he was a converted gangster, and he was out of prison became a preacher, and he did a revival meeting at the church. And they invited me to come, and I went forward with the whole group. Nobody ever opened a Bible. I didn't—I uh, was so shy. I didn't know what, who to talk to or what to say. So they assumed that I had gotten saved that night, and yet I was too bashful to say I really don't know what happened. And so I went through those teen years, Every invitation, lift my hand, yeah, right. I know. Him, but in my heart, I would cry, oh, if only I did know. But finally, in my late teens, I swallowed my pride, and I went to someone and say, I don't really know if I'm, because I lay in my bed at night sometimes, Lord, if I'm not saved, you know, please. You know, like I had to keep begging God mm-hmm. when, instead of realizing his perfect love. And, but, uh, but in the midst of that, I was under solid preaching all that time, both at the church and at the Bible camp. And I would get in and hear all the missionary speakers, and, and Pastor Hart would drive 20 miles Sunday morning, 20 miles Sunday night, 20 miles Wednesday night to pick my brother Earl and I and Jim and some, and they ended up with so many kids coming that they bought a bus, a regular school bus, and it brought us in. Many of those kids are in ministry all over the world right now from that little uh, little burg, and, as God began working, I graduated from high school, never had any goal except to work in logging, and that's what I was doing through high school, worked with my brother, uh, and uh, I, that, that was my goal. And fortunately, I had had a great high school education, didn't care two hoots about it, mm. but it was an excellent uh, college prep, and my brother Earl had enough insight to go ahead of me and sign me up for that. Uh, for college prep, so I had Latin. I went all the way into calculus in high school, and and the Latin helped me so greatly in my Greek and other studies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, God, transferred me from the UP through a brother, my brother Ron, who was a foreman on a tree topping crew. And uh, when I was, he said, "Well, why don't you come? You have a week off. Come down to our place." God transferred me from up there. And I hired. I got this job climbing. And uh, how old were you then? 18 years old. Okay. And so I I took this job climbing because they told me you could because you have trucking experience. You have the uh, and uh, I mean how many years of chainsaw experience by then? And they said we can start you as a T1 because in the union you you were a, you started out as a brushy a truck driver and then you would go up to T1, T2, Top Climber. Mm. And they said, we'll start you as a T T T1. Well, I said, yes, and not even realizing. I, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> but I said, yes, but I think God was using that to move me to a place where I found Calvary Baptist Church in lower Michigan. I was not running from God. I wanted to find a, a good church. And the Pastor Robert Rhodes, uh, who had the same ministry model as Pastor Hart, I got under that mentoring, and I'd, I was making good money. I'd been climbing for a couple of years, uh, topping, and by then I was now in my early 20s. And uh, a Sunday that I was supposed to work on an emergency job, I told the men I'm going to church tomorrow. And they said, well, we have responsibility too. And I said, well, I can't help it. I'm going that Sunday the message that Pastor Rhodes preached. I took my hands off my life. Hmm. I said, God, I don't know what to give. I could, I can't speak. I never surrendered to preach, because I knew with my speech difficulties, I could not, uh, I could not preach. But I wanted to be available, so I stood in front of that communion table, which was my altar, hmm. and I said, God, I take my hands off. And so that the journey began to the next phase of my life from that point. It was that day that I met my wife-to-be, 60 years ago.
1: Mm. If I could back up a little bit, how do you think that uh, the years growing up in the UP shaped you?
0: Well, I, it shaped me in many ways. Number one, work ethic. I mean, I had a dad put up with no foolishness. He mm. was a copper miner, worked underground for over 40 years in in copper mining industry. Uh, he tolerated no laziness. Uh, the weather itself was a great character trainer. And then I think the involvement with sports, we were very active in sports. My dad could care less. Mm-hmm. In fact, my brother Earl and I played years of football and sports and he my dad came to one one football game. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't understand it from <laughs> from anything. <laughs> my brother Earl and I never, I mean, didn't cause it to rob a bank later because Dad didn't come to our football <laughs> games. You know, it was just, that was life. Yeah. And he said, as long as there's wood in that wood box, never mind the football, just make sure there's wood in that wood box. Mm-hmm. And uh, But anyway, God and my brother Earl then went on to play college football on a, on a partial scholarship. And I had no goal beyond getting in the woods and logging. But it shaped my, the character, it shaped the, there was nothing easy for which I am very, if I could go back and say, would I like to be raised differently, other than lack of Bible reading at our, in our home, uh, I would not change anything. Mm. I mean, we didn't have indoor plumbing. We didn't have running water. We didn't have Long before we had refrigeration, I mean, we put everything in a pail, lowered it down in a well. Uh, loved it actually. I mean, I, I would not change anything because it, it it built such a, to me, an inner strength, an inner character, that uh, no matter what you were going to face in life, uh, it was it probably was going to be an improvement. <laughs> so, but yeah, by God's grace. Uh, that was a major impact I think the hard work the the hard work that I was involved in right out of high school prepped me for long-term ministry yeah and I didn't realize it until now how crucial that was to have that type of a background and that type of an upbringing
1: I read a quote. Actually, in in preparation a little mm-hmm. bit for this, I went back and reviewed a, a little book that Judy Coates wrote a few years ago on your life and also connected uh, with Papa Pat's as well. But the title is A Man Among Them, The Less Olala Story. And so I just went back and reviewed that a little bit. Um, and uh, if it's okay, there's several quotes that, that came up in that book that I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Connected with that, one of the things that you've said in the past is the bottom is where you learn your most important lessons. Yeah, and
0: that's really a Philippians 2 mentality, a kenosis. Fortunately, when I did end up going to college, I spent my first semester in my personal devotions in the book of Philippians, and it was my freshman year in college that it sank in my head that uh, servant leadership is biblical leadership. Hmm. Because I thought uh we don't need finger snapping authoritarians we need servants who are going to model that so that kind of sunk in my head uh, during that time
1: can i ask you about that a little bit because it it really has been such a theme of your ministry of course anybody that uh went to northland or anybody who sat underneath your ministry has heard this servant heart the servant leadership began forming then that freshman year of college are there some other kind of key spots that sort of galvanize that idea?
0: well uh, it was it was crystallized when I got into Philippians, too but it was demonstrated to me by pastor Hart mm. before I was even a Christian Wow and the same thing with my brother Earl would share the same thing because he and his wife modeled serving mm. I got under Pastor Rhodes modeled serving so when i got into starting studying for just learning the bible is what my burden was it crystallized it in my mind that is biblical leadership Uh, because charlene was raised in a non-christian home but she saw that modeled in pastor rhodes then when she met pastor hart she saw it modeled there so charlene and i have modeled our our ministry after what we had been modeled by those who God had put in our lives as, as spiritual impactors, but that that was uh, it was a combination of the modeling and then the sinking in of the, to particularly Philippians two, that uh, the kenosis mentality, the self-emptying mentality, is biblical leadership, and and so that's really how that was crystallized. And then I never planned to pastor or preach. But I thought if I ever did, the model would
1: be being a servant. It's really amazing how much God used that uh, that theme in your life, the example of that in front of so many others uh, to impact you know several generations of servants and ministers. And I want to come back to that maybe a little bit later uh, as, as we talk about it, but um, it's cool to see the crystallization of that early on in your ministry. Um, Nothing of worth comes easy. That's uh, something also came up in the book, maybe connected with some of your your thoughts or some of your experiences as a young person.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, when, when someone is looking for an easy chair, uh, they're not going to get very far as far as a ministry commitment is concerned. I mean, they might be able to get somewhere in life, especially in our society today, but... Uh, Anything of worth, there's a price tag connected to it. And I think we see there's a Bible model. David made even the purchasing of, of the floor. He said, "I will not do anything that costs me nothing. I'm, I'm not going to give anything to the Lord that costs me nothing." And the the modeling of of uh, paying a price, but if if it's worth it, it's worth the price tag to pay to get it done. And I think that's true. And anything a person would choose in life. I look at professional athlete. we, we love to see them and we love to see their awards, but you don't really like to see the hours and hours and hours of hard, hard work pre dawn. And, and I think in ministry, the same thing that we see that modeled in Christ. Uh, where early in the morning, he would go a great while before day and go in prayer to the Father uh, during that time. And I, I think that when we look at the, even study through Proverbs, the, the concept of work, how crucial that is. And um, nothing is handed. When something is handed to a person, and I, I fear sometimes in a, in a generation, even in ministry, where, where ministries, somebody will take a pastorate of a church and someone dug the footings for the building and, and poured in 25 years or 30 years, and then a person comes in, has a great vision, hey, this is for me, and, and you'll see some people. I heard somebody say recently that seminary people in in general, not I don't think the institutions we would uh, know or connect with, but uh, they they tell their counselor, finishing their degrees in grad school, that I would not not take a church under 500, or I would not take a church. I would consider maybe a three church of 300, and uh, and I'm thinking to myself. I would not want to sit under that ministry, Mm -hmm. and even though they might take passages and do a good job tearing that apart, the lack of modeling would be, to me, would be no price tag connected to it.
1: It's interesting to me to think about, you know, just that whole story of how God used, uh, you know, your your young. Uh, time your your childhood, your teen years, the influence of those servant leader pastors in your life, and then your burden that came out of for small churches across Wisconsin, across you know the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and, and around the world. It's an interesting connection also with you know then the leadership that developed out of that. And maybe I'll ask you this a little bit later, but um, that that servant heart that. Uh, affects us in this areas of sacrifice and um, the the connection of sacrifice to all these things.
0: Yeah, there there is sacrifice, but I think when when you look at when you determine this is not about me. I love that. If. If we get that in our head, it's not about me. This is God's glory. This is to make him look large to a world. It's not important that I'm comfortable or it's my convenience or my. I'm just doing what I love. Uh, we don't have to love everything we do. We just have to do it and obey God and love God in the midst of all of it. And I remember one time and that... One of the staff wives met me in your dad's church. Their pastor there in Beecher, Wisconsin. A staff lady, very good family. The wife came to me and said, uh, my husband's not coming to church tonight. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I have no idea. I said, where is he? She said, he's in the car sleeping in a parking lot. Hmm. So I went out and found the car and found him and, He put the window down and I said, what's going on? He said, I don't like what I do anymore. I said, what does that have to do with anything? (laughs) I (laughs) said, I haven't liked what I've done for the last 20 years. (laughs) And uh, I said, you know what I learned? I said, early on I learned that when I first got in ministry and actually when I did first start pastoring and preaching, which I never thought I ever would, everything was exciting, your outlines, your study, uh, you can't wait to lay out what you've dug out and lay it out in order. Then you, then you counsel somebody and somebody gets saved and then you're invited to go and speak somewhere and there's a trip. And I said, everything is exciting. And I said, without realizing it, what happened in my life, not knowing except in retrospect that I was loving the ministry and winking at the master. And I said, God in his perfect love Put me in his vice, and he started turning it. And he started turning, because he loved me so much. He was not going to let me go on, just loving the work. And winking at him, even though you had, had your devotions and you had your, your thing. And 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 God puts trials into your life, things some of that very heartbreaking things. And I said, you know what happened. Every turn of that vice, God was squeezing me out and him in. And I said, I didn't realize that there was not a moment that happened. As I look back, I know it happened. And I said, no, I love the master and I do the ministry. And 90% of it sometimes is not something I like. But it's him. It's not me liking it. It's me doing what he has bid bidden, bidden me to do. But you never lose your love for him. Otherwise, you'll always be moving. You get tired of this, and then you move on, and you get tired of that, and you move on. And I saw him the next day. He said, you know, that's, that's what was happening to me. And talented, very gifted, talent, but I ran, ran out of fun. Hmm. No, it's work. Hmm. And so, yeah, it is work. But and I used to tell youth workers, you know, who were going into youth ministry, I said, remember, youth ministry is hard work. If you're gonna see fruit, it mentoring is very hard work because you have to die to yourself to be alive to somebody else. So anyway, that was kind of kind of the development there.
1: I was telling you earlier this the distinction between ownership versus stewardship. I think is a challenge. It's for me, for any of us, and it doesn't matter what your stewardship is, whether it's a, you know, a relatively small uh, area or a larger area. We naturally tend to want to own, um, and uh, yeah, to lose track of the fact that this is all about God's glory. It changes uh, some things. And I know you've shared that as part of your testimony in other times. Doctor, I want to tell you, uh, thank you for for saying that over and over through your life and then showing that, um, just that story of uh, of being willing to, to give this to God and serve and serve others. Um, that voice needs to be louder, and I'm thankful that God's still giving you that voice uh, for people like me and a lot of us. I uh, hope that we're listening um, to everything that's about that.
0: Well... That, that is so true when you stop to think. When you see a stewardship, if somehow or another God moved, removes that stewardship, right. he will give you another stewardship. But if you lose and you thought you owned, yeah, you're going to be hurt and ripped and angry and bitter. No, if, if it's a stewardship, God moves you on to something else, and you're just as content in that. And there's no anxiety. There is no I'm ripped, or there is no. It's this is all God's, and I'm I'm only a steward. And if He wants another stewardship, I'm very willing to accept what He has.
1: Yeah, and it's so hard. I mean, from my perspective, and I think from others, because um, because people are that are effective are passionate people, right? So they're all in on whatever God's called us to do. And it's so easy to to jump that track from, I'm all in on the stewardship God's given me, to I'm all in on this is mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, very strong temptation that way, especially when you've been the one paying the price yeah. to see it happen. And you've seen others enjoying the ride. Well, it's all as unto him. And if we see that as all unto Him, it doesn't matter who's enjoying the ride. What matters is my motivation for when I stand for Him at the bema. Why did I do what I did? Not just what did I do? Why did I do what I did? And that keeps it keeps a perspective on that.
1: Yeah, thank you for living that out and showing it and saying it. Uh, you know, many times over the years. Well, uh, lesson, Charlene, or I can hardly study, Charlene, Doctor O and Mrs. O. You know, still for me, um, that's kind of interwoven in your story here, right? You're you're at uh, Bible College. T- tell us about your relationship with your wife.
0: Well, the day I took my hands off my life in the spring of, I'm thinking sixty-two, maybe. That Sunday, my wife had been working for Square D Electric. She was going into her junior year at Bob Jones. She was secretary for the public relations department there. She came by to see Pastor Marcella Rhodes to say goodbye to them on her way back to college. And uh, she was in church that morning. The morning I decided I was not going to work on that emergency job. They needed climbers and uh, on an emergency job where a power line had gone down. And uh, I, I said, I'm going to church. Well, that morning, when I left my seat, I didn't know her from Adam's house cat. And uh, when I left my seat and took my, I took my hands off my life, uh, I met her that day. In fact, in retrospect, I think Pastor and Marcella Rhodes were, were playing Cupid, and they said, you know, a girl came to visit us. She's lived with her aunt in West Side of Detroit. Would you? She needs a ride home. Could you drive her back over there? I said, Sure. I. Well, I didn't know. Just tell me who it is. And so I drove her and so I dropped her off. And and I, She said, i She's going to be here another week. I think before she goes back. And I said, Well, maybe I can give you a call at the end of the week. When we did that, we reconnected again because she was going to a wedding at Calvary Baptist before she went back. And so we connected again. So we got connected enough to start writing to each other. And, and I, I wrote her every single day. And I rarely—I had a friend in Upper Michigan, and I would try to give her information on what was going on in my life and, and write, you know, every two weeks or if that— <laughs> And then, uh, but I wrote to Charlene every day. There were no cell phones. Mm-hmm. If I called her, she had to stand in a hallway to get the call, and I had to keep pushing quarters and dimes in. You know, the operator would come on and say, uh, "We need forty more cents or, or whatever." And standing on the side of the road in this phone booth, and uh, a different world, wasn't it? And so that was, that was the beginning, of the and God. Because she was so mature in her walk with the Lord, she would constantly direct my thinking. Because I was full of doubt, fears, I said, uh, "I'm, I want to serve God, but college is not in the picture." I said that, and I told Pastor Rhodes that I said, "College is not in my picture." And he said, "Well, you need to get trained." I said, "Well, I can, I can serve God with my hands." And uh, and so she always carried a. Promise box with her. Remember the promise box where you pull a card out and had a verse and a, mm-hmm. a little poem on the back. And uh, I would start. She'd call it dumb talking. And uh, I said, I, I, I said college isn't for me. She said, Well, let's see what God says. So she'd hold her promise box out. and I'd pull Jeremiah thirty-three-three or Philippians four-thirteen, which I preached on last night. Yeah. These were the hooks that I hung my future on by faith. These these verses call unto me and I will answer thee, show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. And so she kept directing my thinking to God thinking, not dumb thinking. And and so with her maturity, uh, she kept me thinking, uh, not doubt, but faith, not fear, but faith. God's able to do this. God can do this. I had a brand new car and I was making good money and I thought I can save... In fact, I think I was, I had just turned 19. I I drove a brand new 62 Chevy. They drove it right out the showroom. I bought it, and that was my my hot Mm -hmm. $2,150. I paid for a brand new Chevy. (laughs) I remember well. And uh, so Pastor Rhodes wrote to the college and had an application sent to me, and I looked at this, and... I kind of chuckled, and I filled it out, thinking they won't accept me anyway. So what's the difference? Well, I get to very quickly get an answer back that you're accepted, you're in, and so now I'm having to deal with this. But and then Charlene helped me register; she helped me walk. And back then, where I went to college, it was the rumors of pink sidewalks and blue sidewalks, right, and yeah. so I'm walking way behind her on campus. <laughs> And she said, well, come walk with that. I said, how close can I be? I don't want to get sent out of here right away. They said, no, you can be. So we, we had some good laughs in retrospect. But thank the Lord for 58 years. Wow. Our next anniversary will be 59 years. But uh, that's how God brought us together. And she had the same commitment.
1: Both of us had the commitment. We just wanted to sell out to God's will. It's so interesting. And, you know, just a quick little sideline on relationships. I was just talking with some other people about this. Um, How critical it is, and I love that word that you said, that in relationships we have the same commitment. At that stage of your life, you didn't have the same maturity. Um, She was a more mature believer than you were. Um, And even I was just telling even our staff recently That uh, the commitment of marriages, I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, almost everybody that comes to me tells me, you know, they're both believers. I want to ask, is there a commitment together to following God? If you're both pursuing God with all your hearts, you can make this work. The maturity is what has to match. Um, But, man, it's going to be a lot, really, really hard um, if one's pursuing God at a different pace than the other's attention that comes part of that. So anyhow, even I'm just thinking about our church family. It's an important Uh, yeah distinguish for them to be able to understand that commitment to God really allowed your relationship then to grow together
0: Uh, definitely and I think as I got into the word in college I mean I just buried myself in it and uh, and I think that uh, when we married it was there was such a mutual commitment that there was never any hesitation if God called us to do something, in fact, we were actually looking because I didn't think I could speak, and I thought I could go, we were gonna go with Shantyman Ministries. We had looked into that, and I was gonna make our living logging and work and do Bible studies right in those Mm -hmm. logging camps, so we had already planned that with another couple when we got out of college, but that isn't how God led. I was figuring out what I could do, but God was leading a different direction the commitment was there. If that's what it was, then that's what we and it wasn't like, Oh, are you are you sure? You know, yeah. it, it whatever we've done, it's been a, a together, a together commitment on that. And uh never a complaint, fortunately in all the years, never a complaint about ministry. Like yeah. I said, there were some people that that <laughs> she struggled with that time. Never the ministry. Yeah. Uh, never a complaint, never dragging the feet, never doubting never questioning me uh, which which was huge in that relationship
1: I love that it's so encouraging uh, 58 years right yes um, what would you tell us you know would be the keys to a healthy loving lasting marriage We had a waitress
0: act that I wanted to treat her to a good meal so we went three days before the actual anniversary date. <laughs> So I told the waitress, I said, this is our 58th anniversary. We're doing it now because we'll probably do it again in three days because we'll forget that we did this tonight. (laughs) And uh, in fact, one waitress said, how did you last 58 years? Right. And uh, other than I kind of glibly said, well, I learned years ago to say yes, (laughs) ma'am. But I said, no, seriously. I said, you know what? We've practiced and she better than I early on, we wake up thinking about the other's needs, mm. not our personal needs. And uh, and I said, you know, I get up and I. she goes to the kitchen to do something. I make the bed up. Well... I'm not a bed maker. In fact, if you lift under the covers, you'd see the hypocrisy and all of that. <laughs> but the top looks smooth. But at least when she comes in, she said, the bed is made up. There you go. And uh,
1: It's the effort.
0: It's the effort, but it's the thought. And yeah. I sometimes I'd, I'd drive, I'd be driving somewhere, and then I'd get, my phone would buzz, I'd look down and it said, that was sweet. <laughs> but she and, and I learned more and more as we've grown that it's, you're thinking her need. She is thinking my need. And I really think the, the best long-term is the excitement to meet each other's need. And, and that covers all of the marriage relationship. And so it's never me, oh boy, I have to have this. It's not me getting, it's us sharing or us giving to each other. I, I feel it's very crucial. And obviously the walk with God is, is a, a given. Uh, you know, I'm talking on a practical level now, but your walk with God, you know, where where the the closer you're to the Lord, you're each to the Lord, the closer you are to one another. So that's pretty much of a a given. And I I think uh, husbands are uh, are really losing a lot when they're not praying with their wife, even before bed, to pillow of your head, say, honey, let's just pray and thank the Lord for the day, and and the the, the husband pray. A lot of women are crying that their husbands would be the spiritual leaders and that at least could we pray together? Uh, and what a difference that that could make uh, in in lives that way.
1: The two of you then have raised a family, uh, kids and now grandkids. Um, some of that time kind of in the spotlight, right? Kids kind of right on, on uh, campus. Just tell us a little bit about raising a well, family. Well, I did a very foolish thing. Because as we went to
0: Northland, you know, we were ready to move to Reading, California, and I ended up by hearing the vision that Paul Patz had to get people trained and sent, and uh, we did. We were squeezing a nickel so hard the Indian was riding a buffalo, <laughs> and so we could not. We could not buy uh, any land or build any house. It just The salary was not where we could just go out and, and get a loan. So for almost 19 years, we lived in the middle of campus trying to raise a family. That was stupid mm. because you have here's the girls' dorm and here's the, the boys' dorm over here and here's the admin building and here's, here's our house that's just like a regular trail going by. And when you're trying to raise a and there's no normalcy. And you had a lot of experts, these 18-year-old experts who knew everything <laughs> about raising kids. And so we couldn't go in the yard and have normalcy, and I, I kicked myself for for not, you know, if we were in the yard, I mean, we'd have a security person come up and say, "Who's going to clean this up? Hmm. This is our yard." <laughs> and uh, and so uh, it was. Some of the kids had bothered others that just rolled off the back, but but I think the judgment that the judgment that that people would make. And you're trying to pour yourself into people and and you would have some didn't respond really well to that and it's almost like the not distance from us but distance from what we were doing like i wish we were in a different circumstance as a family and you know it would have been nice to have your own yard it would have been nice to have your own so th- that was a blunder on my part i i should have made the step I, I took a step of faith taking the job i should have made the step of faith to get a house off campus but but that, that was a a, f- a real failure on my part i think and i think they survived okay yeah uh and and i have asked their forgiveness said, dad we we're not we're not offended yeah. You're, you don't have to ask forgiveness for that. I said, well, I think I do. But uh, but they're okay. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, they're up. I mean, our oldest one is 54 now, I think. And we have 10 grandkids and, and 5 great grandkids now. And uh, and it's, you know, I mean, it, it was good. It was hard. But I was so tied up in focusing on getting this done, and I thought, well, I'm not going to complain about housing, but really I should have been wiser. I, I should have been wiser that way uh, because that's one of those things, if you could go back and correct. then mm. and, uh, and then the other thing is vacations. The, all of our vacations were my preaching trips. And one time my kid said, Dad, could we one time just take a vacation where we just go and you're not having to go out and preach at night? And um, so we did a couple trips to Florida, use a friend's condo, but uh, way, way too few times. Way too few times, in that. But but uh, we we laugh about it now, and and so on. But I think I could have done a whole lot better that way. And um, you know when they're when your youngest one, I have a grandson that's 34 years old, and and so and then his. Son, which is one of our great grandchildren, uh, and good to see him going. He went to two camps, the two Bible camps this summer, and and so, yeah, I mean, it all works out. But you, you as the leader, you you kick yourself. I think my right leg was a lot longer than my left leg at that time, reaching around trying to kick myself, <laughs> and uh, so that was.
1: Well, we're thankful for God's grace in all of our lives as parents um, and in our families. And um, yeah, where would any of us be without that? So thankful for that. And and kids that do understand and serve along beside us. And, you know, I've seen that in your kids as well. Um, You've had an influence on so many young lives. I mean, hundreds, well, thousands of, you know, college uh, kids that have come through Northland and then the influence, you know, before and after Um, all of us. More, you know, most of us now uh, in the middle of raising families and marriages, and if you could kind of in a fatherly way look out over this crowd of, uh, you know, young people that now are, are in the middle of these families, you know, could you tell us one or two things that would say, hey, make sure you focus on this?
0: Well, f- number one, focus on making sure that God stays central in uh in the time, not a preaching at supper time, but just the sharing things, sitting down and eating together. The pace that has developed, it's like hardly ever families are sitting down eating and those are the great times of, one thing we did was had fun at the the supper table and uh, Charlene had a full breakfast every morning before the kids went over to Faith Christian, full breakfast. I mean, ham and eggs and biscuits, and, and that was a, a great morning time. And then a lot of times these supper meals were, were not as regular, but I think, and then another huge thing if you're raising, especially in the junior high, early high school, guard their friendships, guard their friendships. Don't assume anything about their friends. Like if somebody is gonna stay over somebody's home, don't assume anything because I, I do believe that Satan can use a friendship to turn a child a different direction so be very diligent about their their kids friends and uh, and then uh, have fun together hmm. as as a family I mean again vacations where you go and and you jump in your vehicles and you you go and uh, in fact, we just came from, like I said, the Gichigumi Bible Camp, and Jim's family was there, and our daughter Tammy, and their four kids, and then their fiancés and husbands. And um, and then we took a picture under the sign. It was four generations.
1: Wow, that's cool.
0: Four generations of Gichigumiites <laughs> that were there. So we took a picture under the sign. That was a, That was a great time.
1: Man, there's so many questions I'd like to ask about these things. Even almost every statement, there's different thoughts. But if we went too much on this, we'd be doing this for hours and hours. Um, But uh, let's make a little transition, and then we'll break and come back for maybe another session on this. But um, let's talk about the the early years of ministry. Um, Youth pastor uh life action can you just kind of walk us through that you got married 58 years ago what was what what was next
0: well when i graduated from college we were in a church plant Uh, in fact uh, it was done on bootleg corner in greenville south carolina Mm -hmm. and uh, fatma who was the biggest bootleg distributor would get the the hooch out of the mountains of north carolina she lived kitty-corner from Charlene and me because we ended up pastoring that church, which is now the church that Mark Menick has. Dr. Mm-hmm. Menick has the Mount Calvary Baptist. Uh, but at that time, Dr. Rod Bell, Charlene and I worked with Rod and Lenore and some other couples planting that church that was Baptist Tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And Rod Bell was the first principal of the Tabernacle Christian School. Uh, he was the founder of the Tabernacle Bible Institute, that is now the Tabernacle Baptist Bible College, and then he planted the church on Bootleg Corner, because all the records were kept at Tabernacle and the baptisms were done at Tabernacle, and so when we built that new building, there was no Baptist Street because all the it was a mission church from Tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Well, when I took the to pastor it after Rod left. Uh, we changed the name to Mount Calvary and changed the constitution, not changed it, but read, wrote its own constitution so that it became Mount Calvary Baptist. And I agreed to do it for a year after Rod left. And uh, I, I'm not a year, I said a short time. We ended up being a year. We reorganized because there was kind of a, two men with their eye on that pulpit and almost almost blew the church apart. And we were running at that time, 200 plus in a new church plant and not inviting students, but trying to reach the mill people, pull Mm -hmm. mill. And and so Pastor Rhodes made a trip to hire a church secretary. And I'm running a backhoe and I see him. He sees me on this backhoe and... uh, and I'm also pastoring the church. And uh, I said, "What are you doing down here?" He said, "I'm. I came to hire your wife to be our secretary," teasing me, but half serious. <laughs> and then he said, "We can work you in somewhere because Charlene was such a top-flight secretary at that time. And that was pre-IBM Selectric. I mean, that was Edison had just invented the light bulb. I remember <laughs> <laughs> and." Uh, Well, when he got back home, uh, the deacons had said, while you were gone, we decided you don't need a secretary. You need an assistant. Mm. Would you consider calling Les and asking him if he would consider moving up here and becoming your associate pastor? And he said, well, I just talked to Les a couple days ago. And uh, so they wrote a letter of proposal. That's how I ended up moving as the youth, I actually associate, I was in charge of outreach, in charge of youth ministry, and in charge of the uh, bus ministries. The whole, I had, I had three job descriptions. And the only one I said, I don't think I can handle would be the youth. I'm not a youth. <laughs> I don't play the trumpet. I can't say, hey, hey, hey. And uh, no, he said, no you you want so i decided if i'm going to be in youth work i'm going to dig into bibles mm. what does the bible say it takes and so that's how we really built a youth philosophy so we worked together for about 10 years but after about eight years del fazensville from life action ministries uh asked if i would meet him at detroit airport he flew into detroit airport and i drove over from roseville across detroit Met him there. He said, "Would you consider coming with Life Action Ministries and doing our uh, adult ministries? You know, doing the family conferences at the end of the week. There'd be a Sunday through Sunday through Wednesday meeting, and then on that Saturday there would be then there would be a pre-session every night." And I said, "Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I said, I, I certainly would." would enjoy seeing what God is doing. But I said, I have no reason to leave where I am. I said, but I won't say I won't pray. And so anyway, I went back and I talked to Pastor Rhodes. I said, Del Faisenfeld came and asked me if I would consider going. And I told him, no, not at this point. But uh, then Del said, well, what about, what about if for a year you would fly out? And you and Ed Heinson switched, so Ed Heinson and I, Heinson would do uh, a, a week, and then I would fly in and do a week, and so we would meet in the airport sometimes, him going home and me going out, <laughs> or vice versa. And and so and I said, uh, so we we did that for a year while I stayed at Calvary, and then. Uh, Pastor Rhodes said, well, the church will support if you feel that's what God wants. We will take you on for support because everyone there in Life Action raised their own. They were home missionaries. Mm. None of the honorarium ever went to any of the speakers or Dell or his family. Or, And so each one was a home missionary, raised their own support. And so Adele said, well, we'll help you get an Airstream. So we... We, we went on the road, Airstream. We were five years living in that. We call it our silver pickle. <laughs> and we had three kids, a dog, and a parakeet. And the parakeet saw her chance to <laughs> break in out of Florida. There. <laughs> the door was open. And she said, see you all later. I'm not that burdened about ministry. So <laughs> so the parakeet flew the coop. And, uh, but we had so many mm. answers to prayer. And, I, and I, I wish time would allow to share some of the absolute, uh, almost miracle meetings. I mean, churches—churches—you'd stay there. Was one church where 31 days, 125 baptized the closing night of the of the the 31 days, and and others just uh, churches coming back together that had been bitterly divided and. During that time, I said, Del, I feel burdened to meet with these staffs. So I started a staff meeting, a noon luncheon, and sometimes we would go all the way up so much, and I would record every church we were in. I would watch strength, weaknesses, what was biblical, what was biblically violated, and I kept, I kept charts and files analyzing and hundreds of churches and uh it it built a more solid because i said i'm going to apply what we what we saw work at calvary and i'm going to apply that in our leadership things at in these meetings
1: i've never heard you say that it's it's an interesting thing because that was something early in my life i just i was interested in as well just looking at churches and evaluating strengths and weaknesses and yeah, it's it's clear what it's done in your ministry philosophy over the years. You know,
0: well, it, it definitely because I would keep a record, and mm. sometimes you would be in a booming, banging. Uh, back then, the the BBF was exploding. Baptist Bible Fellowship, uh, their numbers were exploding, and and yet uh, I, I would see pragmatism. Mm. Then next week you'd be in First Church of the Deep Freeze, pastor by Jack Frost, <laughs> and you have a iceberg in a yeah. in the pew and polar bear in the pulpit, and then you go to the next one. That was uh, I was yeah. boy, you know. He, uh, but then so I I would just watch biblical principle uh, violation of biblical no Bible pattern for that. So I would we would start sometimes in luncheons and go right up to the service time. Mm-hmm. And I'd barely get back to our trailer in time for me to get ready to do the pre-session. And so all of the things that God allowed me, I was able to bring into Northland, building a what I felt a solid, balanced philosophy uh, that was known by no one, uh, tied in with no group yeah. per se. So we were free to be free without being owned, and, uh, and so I think it was a huge plus what God did in those five years on the road that brought, a to me, a balanced philosophy of solid Bible training, solid passion for souls, but yet not displacing God in the process, mm-hmm. but keeping God enthroned while His Word was being preached and souls were being won
1: so fascinating both of those pieces of you know it's interesting for me to look back on yeah that northland as sort of this place out you know of course out in the middle of nowhere but really a place to itself and um of course under your leadership uh being able to say we're going to pursue god and try to do that without the trappings of maybe a lot of pressure that other that are other places sometimes felt um but uh, uh interesting too dr o on how god provides prepared you for the task, each one along the way, you know, each one led to another step of God's usefulness, but, but putting the pieces together in order for, you know, kind of the next step, which, um, if you'd allow us to, to come back to again and kind of talk about the Mm -hmm. Northland years in another session and ask about that, but it's just amazing to me to see this progress of God's preparation in your life, step-by-step, uh, molding you to uh, you know, to to have the capabilities, you know, to lead Northland, as that you know, kind of came into the picture. You said, uh, I just again, I took this out of the the book, a Man Among Them. Um, one of the you know, quick sentences that were quotes from you were pinpoint your passion.
0: Yeah, I think that's very crucial because uh, you can't be like a man gets on his horse and runs in all directions. You have to be intentional. What is your passion? And obviously the passion, number one, has to be your passion for Christ growing. And then what is going to be your focus? And in my particular goal was to mentor to get people trained and sent. In other words, do the process of mentoring. And and I I had a 5X plan for uh, discipleship that maybe if we do another broadcast... We I'd like in, to talk about discipleship. ...get yeah. into that five X's mm-hmm. that became the pattern of that and uh, we saw that work so clearly both in the youth ministry in Roseville which, I mean, there were so many of those young people worldwide now that, uh, that are involved in ministries, all sort of ministries that were there and I had no capacity for that but God's Word did in fact, one man came who was a representative of a large youth organ. He came to me and said, you'll never build a youth work in this church. I said, boy, since you came through that door, that is the most accurate thing you said, <laughs> because I can't. Mm-hmm. But I said, when I get God's word into the lives of those young people, God can. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's the goal. Get this book into them and let the Spirit of God take that truth and let that truth uh transform those hearts and lives
1: let's hang on to that uh that'll be a good launch pad for us to, to talk about discipleship and the primacy of the scriptures you yes. know in this mentoring of young lives and young servants and young leaders one last thing before we move on maybe to kind of put a capstone on this section uh and nobody would be surprised by this but one of the sentences that came out of this book was never forget how to laugh um, right. You've had, you know, a, a life of homespun, natural humor. It's always such been such an important part of your communication. Tell us about that.
0: Well, you know, I was in a meeting out west and a man came up to me. We had been there about six days. He said, you tell a lot of jokes. I said, I do? <laughs> I said, tell me one that I told him. I've been here almost a week, tell me one. Uh, he said, I said, think real hard. I knew I hadn't told a joke. Yeah. I said, think real hard. He said, I can't think of any. I said, I know because I didn't tell any. He said, we were laughing. I said, I don't tell jokes. I describe life. And the funniest thing going is reality, slightly exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And I said, I take reality and just add a little exaggeration to it. And I said, that's the funniest thing going. I don't have to tell jokes. Life is funny enough. But I do believe that that laughter is good like a medicine. I, uh, I was doing a men's conference and I said I don't trust men who can't laugh. They're not holy so much as they're bitter. Yeah. And this guy came up afterwards, <laughs> and uh, and he said I don't agree with you. And this guy, while I was speaking, he if looks could kill, he had been a mass murderer. And I so I said, uh, I said all I know is what Scripture says. Laughter is good like medicine. I said, I, I honestly believe laughter does something to bring healing. And, uh, oh, he, he did not. Well, I got a letter a year later from him, and there was an article he cut out of Detroit, one of the Detroit papers and from the health section on laughter, what laughter does to heal. Mm. And he had a little note in the corner, you were right, and I saw him a couple of years after that at a meeting in Midland, Michigan, uh, he came up when I was speaking there, and uh, and he was smiling, so uh, I think the Lord had done something. <laughs> but I do think, you no know, one thing we did in our house was laugh, in our home when I was being raised. I mean, there was a lot of laughter, and sometimes we saw it as survival. Uh, you know, uh, I, I when I see somebody with a real sense of humor, I normally guess they're from a very hard background. Mm. And and I said I think there is something to that uh, somebody out of hard backgrounds will develop humor as a as a survival means, and I think a lot of it that a lot of it that we had I think there was it was kind of a subtle means of survival.
1: Hmm. Well, there's no way to copy it. Um, what God's given you, but I think it has been an indication of the authenticity of your life. And it's just flowed out, you know, uh, of your heart and um, of your face and of your communication. And bless so many of us, It's uh, you have a very unique ability um, to, uh, you know, communicate such important, poignant truth with a little bit of humor that allows it to just settle in in an effective way. And I know God's used that in my life, and I'm thankful for it.
0: Well, a lot of times it's easier to get the knife in uh, <laughs> when, when somebody's in laughing. They didn't realize it got in there. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm I'm not quite serious about that, but it, it does uh, help to get the Novocaine of laughter before the knife goes in. So,
1: Well, thank you uh, for this. It's been, yeah, just thrilling and uh, a joy to talk a little bit today. We'll come back again, if uh, you're willing, and do part two, and we'll kind of take oh, the next part of your story and— maybe bring some more philosophy back into it. So thanks, Dr. O, for your time here.
0: And it's all to God's glory. Amen. Because I have nothing worthwhile apart from him. So that's to the praise of his glory.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening to this very special edition of Harvest Time. We hope you can be with us again next week for part two with Dr. Les Olala. We know the program will be a help and a blessing, and we hope you join us then.